Today's episode of Pop Culture Reference is brought to you by the Professional Cinema Society's biannual Student Film and Video Festival here at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If you want to submit to this year's festival, the deadline is December 6th, and you can find more information on the Professional Cinema Society's Facebook page. Now, on with the show. Hello, everybody. Broadcasting live from Chris Evans' jawline. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I am one of your distinguished hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo, hi, hello. We're, there we're it on is. a podcast now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Pop Culture Reference. How, how are you gentlemen doing today? Oh, great. Yeah. This is our Thanksgiving pre-record. So yes, the Sunday is. of December 1st, this will go out. You want to give it away? You don't want to... We're not going to be able to do Mandalorian this week anyway, Ricardo. We're going to get called out on the Twitter feed if, if they find us out without... Garrett's him dad's going to call us out? He definitely will. He's Let's our... beef with Garrett. <laughs> no, he's our number one fan. <laughs> All right, so let's get right into news. Let's do it. Um, I think the biggest piece of news that we forgot to acknowledge last week's episode was that the King's Man... The Kingsman prequel movie set during World War One has been pushed all the way from February to September 2020. Whack. Whack indeed. Like, what the hell, man? I was so looking forward to this movie coming there, out so soon. There are two reasons that this could happen. One is it's not finished in some capacity, either mm-hmm. that the story needs more reworking and they need to do reshoots or the visual effects aren't done. Or, and I think this is honestly the more likely scenario, Disney is trying to capitalize on having this big budget franchise in a more profitable time frame and obviously they can't move it to the summer because the summer 2020 blockbuster season has been booked up since 2018 Mm. so now they're gonna have to move it somewhere where there isn't a large competitor against it because people don't go to movies in february well it's not true like the last ones came out in february they were fine and I mean, probably... February's become the month to drop your cool little, like, niche action movie. That's where Deadpool landed, and that was highly successful. Yeah, they just, they need their hooks in a lot of every aspect of, of what they do. And I think, like, with the success of the last two Kingsman movies and, like, how that has kind of, like, gathered this bigger fan base, they are going to be like, all right, prime time now. We have our Kingsman audience and we're going to we're gonna put it in, like, a really good spot for everybody to go see. It Nothing doesn't else. have a lot of competition in September. What's coming out in February? Deadpool and Kingsman are outliers. Like, Kingsman 2 underperformed. And I'm sure yeah, they're reanalyzing... Just, movie's just not good. But I'm sure they're reanalyzing the formula because Kingsman 2 underperformed to try to figure out what they can fix about it. Probably partly the release time, and then also partly this movie just... Uh, the Kingsman just looks a ton better than Kingsman 2. But the Kingsman 2 trailers looked really good, so I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, that's true. Like, marketing cannot be trusted, Seamus. Uh, they, they hooked me, that's for sure, with the, the golden circle. Well, I think that this new Kingsman choice is interesting because we're seeing a lot of World War One movies coming out right now, and I'm wondering what that kind of says about the cultural moment that we're in, that we're so focused on World War One, which is a war that was started by elite aristocracy of a bunch of European countries that ultimately normal people from everywhere in Europe ended up paying the price for. 
The King's Man is focusing on World War One. Wonder Woman just did World War One, and so is 1917. Yeah. Sam Mendes' new film. When does 1917 come out again? That's coming out a little more uh, soon, December right? 20th, I think. That is kind of interesting to think about, because it almost feels like studios and writers are like, you know, World War Two is all played yeah, you can out. Yeah, only shoot a Nazi so many Exactly, times. and they're like, this is We're like... We're just running out of wars to cover. we got to make new ones. But new that, wars! That's Let's the start thing, pitching new wars. Is World War One is like, you can't really think of a lot of like... I mean, I guess you could m- more now, but super famous war movies, it's, you know, it's a Vietnam movie or it's a World War Two movie, and World War One has just so much untapped... Like potential to write around because it was so big and crazy and and also from a historical perspective, World War One there isn't a bad guy. There's not a Nazis for the First World War. It's just that it was a stupid, idiotic choice that none of the countries knew what they were getting into and the severity that the war would have on their countries long term. Yeah, and I mean, a huge mistake. But now we're having this, you know, all these movies pop up here and the tonal difference between The King's Man and 1917 <laughs> is going to be like, the difference is going to be massive, I can only imagine. and Because the trailers for The King's Man look so intense, but I I wonder if they're going to take that more fun feeling like they did with the original two Kingsman movies. There's Rasputin doing twirly swords. Yeah, that, that's fun. <laughs> I mean, It's still Matthew Vaughn. They have a lot of comedians in this movie. Like Tom Hollander. Who's that now? He's a British actor. Tom Holland's brother. He was in Mission Impossible 5. He was the prime minister of the UK. I'm trying to think of bigger movies that he's been in. Oh, God. But he is the lead on a lot of British television. He was also in The Night Manager with Tom Hiddleston, Olivia Colman, and Hugh Laurie. He was Hugh Laurie's right-hand man in that. You've seen him in stuff. He is a pretty prolific British character actor. I'm, I'm positive I would know him if I saw his face, but none of that sounds familiar. But Tom Hollander is, I think, playing multiple roles in this new Kingsman, and he's a really, really funny actor. And so I think that a lot of the comedy is maybe going to come out of side characters this time around. Also, I don't have a feel for any of the characters' personalities in this movie yet. It's the first movie, again, but it's World War One now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that shot in the trailer where they walk up to the Kingsman tailor or whatever. An old distinguished guy introducing a young boy to the world of tuxedos. Is, is the young boy supposed to be um, related to Eggsy? I wonder if he's going to be related I'm to Eggsy. If he's sure going to be Eggsy's grandfather. Or yeah, something. some something like that. Where it, they're going to do some legacy connections there to yeah. set up for whatever third modern Kingsman they make down the line. They're doing a modern third one? Well, I mean, probably eventually. I mean, it's a pretty successful series. They've got me, at the very least. I'll go to see all of them. Like, that's a fact. Yeah, those are good movies. What? There's more news. Yeah. There's more news we got to So, while we were recording last week's episode, Matt Reeves, the director of The Batman, tweeted out the words Carmine Falcone and tweeted a gif of John Turturro from The Big Lebowski. So, John Turturro is playing Carmine Falcone in the new movie The Batman, This marks, like, the fifth time that we've had Batman casting news to report on this podcast, and everybody's great so far. I'm afraid it's getting a little overstuffed, but... (laughs) It's getting insane. Stuff it. More. You want more? More! I like the more... The more I hear about it, the more I'm like... It's almost like a too-big-to-fail kind of feeling. With this new Batman, though, it's like, who else could they possibly 
fit in, and I probably say that every week. Anything. I'm trying to think of more villains they could fit in. This. Like yeah, wh- they already have Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy, yeah. You they... want to do a quick cast Poison Ivy right now? Amy Adams. That's... I was gonna uh, say yeah. like, is it too obvious? But I mean, maybe it's not. What other villains could we fit in this movie? Calendar Man. Yes. I don't know enough about Calendar Man. He's a guy. He likes calendars. They're doing the Long Halloween, they say. So Calendar what's not, Man. What's not to get about Calendar Man? He is obsessed with dates. Yeah. That's it. He just like does crimes on specific dates. Yeah. Ricardo, who's your Calendar Man? Bald John Goodman. <laughs> Put John Goodman in anything, and I'll watch it. All right. Let's move on to our main segment. Okay, gentlemen, let's line up and start asking some questions. Knives out. What a film. What did you guys' first general impressions? Oh, it's fun. It's so much fun. (laughs) I really liked it. And honestly, at first, I was just leaving it being really happy with how fun it was. But now having a little bit of time to ruminate on it, I'm really impressed with the deeper subtext going on and the way that it plays with genre without getting into too many specifics. Yeah, I uh, having had rewatched uh, Clue for last week, I was expecting a little more Clue formula in that, like, it was more... I don't know. But for now, we're just doing, like... It's new, it's a fresh take on everything with, like, a very classic-y feel. I almost wish it didn't have such a star-studded cast because I wanted more from each character, yeah. but that would have been a five-hour movie if we got, like, the the clue breakdown of each one of these characters. So, yeah. other than that... But I, I feel like each character did have a decent amount of depth. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's not to say that, like... They couldn't handle the amount. I just wanted more because I'm a greedy little boy <laughs> and I want all the details. I was really impressed. I think this is Brian Johnson's best film. I was really impressed with both Daniel Craig, who I knew was already a great actor, but Anna de Armas, who I think is really making a strong presence in Hollywood right now, especially with this performance. That was Marta? Marta, yeah. What she, else has she been in? Uh, she's the Joy from Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah. I'm very happy that we got to see this advanced screening early and that we can... I don't know. I might even go see it again at some point. I I very much enjoyed it all. It is probably just in the details worth another rewatch. I think I'll go see it again over Thanksgiving, probably. Probably with my family. Yeah, that makes sense. I might might do the same. Let's talk about this cast for a little bit. Because we talked about Daniel Craig and Anna de Armas, but it also has a huge star-studded cast, like you mentioned, including Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson... Tony Collette, Michael Shannon, Chris Evans, uh, Lakey Stanfield, M.M. Mm. M. Emmett Walsh, and Frank Oz are both in it for one Frank scene Oz, apiece. Yeah. Where was Frank Oz? <laughs> He's the guy who reads the will. Yeah, yeah. I I had to be told that in the theater because I, I couldn't even recognize him, but he, he was very funny in this, too. It's also got the kid from It, who's a good actor. He didn't have much to do with this movie, but... Oh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed what he had to do and, like, how he was portrayed. It's, it's, it's very fun. I, I hope that kid is in more stuff. And then, of course, Christopher Plummer, who is our murdered character. Did you character. say Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah, she's yeah, the first okay. one I said. I, I love Jamie Lee Curtis in this as well. I just love her in anything since Freaky Friday, but that, that's just me. Since Freaky Friday. Yep. The yeah. epitome of her career. Yeah, Name totally. A better movie. What's Halloween? Who's John Carpenter? What's... Who? Especially in this movie, she had, like, this weird, angry... I guess they're all weird, angry, rich people. I hate them in real life, but in movies, just, like, terrible rich people are just very fun to see them do terrible rich people things. Especially... It's Arrested Development. Yeah. It's it's, it's Arrested Development murder mystery. Especially seeing movie stars 
do mean rich people, I think is yeah. especially fun because a lot of movie stars are mean rich people. Yeah, it's, it's they do it so well for some reason. I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. I liked right at the beginning, we get a scene where we pretty much get to showcase all of our primary cast members right away, which I really enjoyed. Very cluey indeed. Just oh, like very yeah, and yeah. That's maybe why I wanted more from everyone is that they like they set them up and they really do. It's like rapidly they get into. So overall impressions, boys. Great. It's, I, I had a real good time with this movie. Yeah. If if the question of hype is being asked, <laughs> I think the hype is real, yeah, and it's I'm pretty real. I'm very glad that it, it lived up to what I was I was expecting here. I agree. The hype is real. Everybody go see it. I think I can. Yeah. Everybody. No. Go yeah. See it. Definitely go see it. Know as little about it as possible it's before a, you go in. I could almost see this being a fun like family Thanksgiving outing. Like Absolutely. it's a big family <laughs> funny time. It's 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 about a it's family great. that hates each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, it has something for everybody. It has comedy. It has intrigue. It has some action beats in there, even. It has good character work. Great writing, great execution and acting, just like everyone is doing so well. Ryan Johnson has a gift that I don't think a lot of directors have, which is understanding how to use movie stars as character actors. And I know that's a really weird, specific niche, but I think that there are not a lot of directors working in Hollywood that know how to use movie stars in the way that maximizes their presence in a film like this, which is a little headier or maybe a little less self-serious than a lot of the stuff that these actors are usually in. Yeah, I totally agree. And and, and that's, like, one of my favorite things about this is that, like, watching these, you know, semi-serious, pretty legit actors just, like, get goofy. That's what what I bought a ticket for, pretty much. All right, should we mark spoilers? Let's do it. All right, let's go into spoilers. Everything is a spoiler in this goddamn movie. The butler did it. (laughs) Oh, God. I almost am a little sad there wasn't a butler. I was kind of expecting a butler, but kind of the housekeeper. Yeah, kind of the housekeeper is the butler, a little less formally. Uh, They really, I got mad clue vibes right off the bat where they show this mansion and there are two guard dogs uh, right there, just like Wadsworth feeding the dogs in Clue. I think that's a very specific clue homage. I think so as well. The whole movie is a clue homage. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah, but this, this part specifically was like... All right, get get on the same page. This is what we're doing here. It's 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 modern clue, everybody. And I really enjoyed that element of it. I yeah. thought it was really well executed. It would have been fun as just straight modern clue, but they they do something different. Yeah, they step yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. Up. So, let's kind of walk through it a little bit chronologically. Obviously, we're not going to go as in-depth as we would for something a little older maybe, but basically we open with the housekeeper Fran finding Christopher Plummer's character Harlan Thromby, a multi-millionaire mystery novelist, dead with his throat slit. Who done it? Or was it a suicide? What's the deal? Oh yeah, it is originally. It is ruled a, a suicide by the detectives and the police there when they're like. That's why when all of the families called back to the house to be questioned yet again, they're kind of confused about why they're having to go through all that again because at this point like when we really get into stuff it's post-funeral it's like yes everything is kind of taken care of we meet who was harlan's nurse marta played by anna de armas and then we also 
throughout a series of interviews conducted by the police and private investigator Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, we learn a, a little... Southern man. Oh, yeah, that's the reason why we, I was doing that accent before. I'm not that weird, I swear. He's a big old, he's a big old foghorn, leghorn, southern man. And real quick before we continue, is having his last name literally be uh, White in French, like Mr. White, is that another clue... I thought that myself. Gimme there, because, I mean... I choose to take it as such. <laughs> yeah, I, if not, yeah, we'll just say it is. I, I think it's a nod to Poirot a little bit by having it be such a French name yeah. that he feels very Poirot-esque. There's a lot of references to all the great detectives from fiction Yeah. in he, Benoit Blanc, but he also feels like his own character. I think the choice to make him Southern was a really smart one. Yeah, and that, that, it removes him enough from... I like to think it was Daniel Craig's idea. Maybe it is. It's I, just he, his new thing. He's liking like, to do I'm that. Be Southern in every movie I do from now on. It's he's my new thing. So good in Logan Lucky. He's so good in Logan Lucky. <laughs> they really give me a scene in the new Bond where he has to go to the South in America <laughs> and he has to be undercover and like just let him do that accent again and it'll be great. So we meet Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays Linda, Harlan's daughter and a self-made businesswoman. Her husband Richard, played by Don Johnson. Tony Collette, who is Harlan's daughter-in-law, though her husband has since passed away. She plays Joni. Michael Shannon plays Walt, Harlan's youngest son, and the only not self-made business person of the family who runs Harlan's publishing company. Jamie Lee Curtis at one point mentions that in order to gain favoritism with Harlan, you had to be willing to play his secret games by his rules. And then that's the reason that she became essentially what she implies the favorite child. And it was in that uh, line actually that I st- my 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 wheels started turning in my head in the theater, where it was like, all right, he's a mystery writer. He's had a mysterious death. You were supposed to play by his rules to, like, get to communicate with him. He's got this big thing going on right now. Did you right also now. think it was a big? Orchestrated from the dead, it's like I had this plan. Yeah, this I, the first I thought it was gonna. Step. The end is my will, you dumb idiots. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was gonna be a a game night style. Yeah. Like, is it him all along? Is he just screwing with his family to do like one last mystery style to bring them all together? But he's uh, a crazy mystery person, writer. Exactly. Yeah, that's like that, that's where do. my head was at at that point. So we get an approximate layout of the evening of his 85th birthday party, as recounted by these interviews. What I really liked is that every time a different person talked about the party, it cut to the same shot of him getting his birthday cake, but it was yeah. different people by his side. That's yeah. good. I like that a lot. I love that, too. It was, it was a small detail that I nearly missed. I almost was just like, huh, I must have uh, misremembered that last scene a second ago, but it is it it very well done. So we learn that Marta took Harlan to bed at 11.30, that Marta left at midnight, and that Harlan came downstairs for a midnight snack, only to get told to go back upstairs by his son Walt at 12.15, which places the murder between 12.15 and 2 a.m. It's at this point that we get a little bit more backstory into Benoit Blanc's character as these different characters recognize him. We learned that there was a New Yorker profiled out of him called The Last of the Gentleman Sleuths, which we might touch on later in the episode, that term. Who, Who knows? knows? It's a mystery. Then finally, we get to see Marta's interview. She can't lie. She vomits if she tries to lie, which is real weird. <laughs> yeah. Felt out of place in this movie for a bit, but I got, I was into it. I like it. 
I like the idea of taking that hyper-specific character trait and placing it into a murder mystery. I think that's really fun because you essentially have a character that can't lie, which increases the intrigue present for both the audience and the characters in the film. I don't know if that's like an actual thing, but it reminded me a lot of... Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. (laughs) Actually, it reminds me a lot of Niles Crane, because doesn't he have a thing where he can't lie or else he gets a nosebleed yeah. and that's like his yes, whole does. thing and I I thought that was uh I don't know I always connect things back to Frasier apparently but it, it, it gave me those vibes I thought it was a fun little touch yeah totally but now it's time for Marta's interview and in a framing device that was really similar to the good place framing device <laughs> yeah, from I, last week I thought the same thing Daniel Craig flips a coin into the air and as it goes in slow motion, we flash back to see the entire night of Harlan's birthday and the night he was killed from Marta's point of view. It's here that we learn that when she took Harlan upstairs and was giving him his medicine, instead of giving him 100 milligrams of his back pain meds, she accidentally gives him 100 milligrams of morphine, meaning that he'll be dead in 10 minutes. So in order to keep her from getting in trouble and held responsible for his death, and so her mother doesn't get deported, who is in the country illegally, he decides that he's going to make it look like a suicide. So we learn that Marta does, in fact, leave at midnight, but sneaks back to the house, sneaks up the trellis on the outside of the house, then to come back downstairs in Harlan's robe and hat to make people think that he was alive at 12.15. Meanwhile, he commits suicide by cutting his own throat. So, in a weird deviation from the murder mystery, we get a reliable narrator telling us a definitive version of what happened from their perspective the night of the murder 25 minutes into this movie. Plot twist, you dumb, stupid idiot. <laughs> I felt like a dumb, stupid idiot. I thought I was going to get into a whole... I guess Clue was on my mind this whole time for very obvious reasons, so I was like, oh... I'm ready to, like, investigate this giant family who it could have been literally anyone, but we, on screen, no tricks, see Harlan cut his throat, and mm-hmm. no question, know how he died. But now, Blog is taking Marta around to every part of the house because he trusts her to be his eyes and ears. And we get to see a good sequence of scenes where Marta is showing her resourcefulness of covering her tracks of everything that she had to do to sneak back in the house and everything like that by covering her footprints in the garden or erasing the security camera footage which would show her pulling off the road to come back. All leading up to the reading of The Will by Frank Oz. But then... Can we take a minute to recognize Frank Oz before we move on just because he's such a good artist? Not only is he so prolific in the world of the Muppets and Yoda and and puppetry in general... But he's also a really accomplished actor in live action and a really fantastic director. He was in that one Blues Brothers scene. Yeah, he is. He's the cop in Blues Brothers. Or one of the, Wait, you know, really? there's a lot of cops in Blues <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't but. even know that. That guy, he is a jack of all trades if there ever was one. He, he's just a talent. He's just a talented man. That's, that's as simple as it gets. Anyway, quick Frank Oz appreciation aside. On with our story. Yeah, we get a good look at Chris Evans's character, Ransom. Yes, Hugh Ransom, uh, whatever Don Johnson's last name is, that's not Thromby. Right. Who is Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson's character's son. Uh, apparently, he left early the night of the party as well 
as not having attended the funeral. So this is the first chance that we've gotten to see this character. He's a little trust fund kid, never had a job in his life, is entirely reliant on the fortune of his grandfather. He shows up and he's a real jerk. Yeah, he immediately starts telling everyone in his family to eat shit. Well, he's, you know, munching on cookies and, like... Which is great. It's a great scene. I like Yeah, I hate him, but I love him doing all this. It's so weird. Chris Evans, I think, having played Captain America for ten years, we forget how good he is at being a jerk because that's mostly what he played before Captain America. He's Lucas Lee. (laughs) Yeah. Lucas Lee. No other examples come to mind for me. (laughs) I mean, he played the Human Torch, which is still a jerk character. Oh, yeah, he's like a cocky... He's in a lot of teen movies and Not things like that. Not another teen movie. I think he's literally in another yeah. Is that true? Movie, yeah. Does he wear a letter jacket in he that movie? Does. I guarantee it. Yeah. Oh, is that the one where he like looks at his own picture and yep. he's like, ah, yeah, yep, that's love, the one. love myself. Yeah, okay, sure, sure, sure. You know, big smile on my face when he was just like telling the the housekeeper to call him a different name because she's part of the help and everyone is horrified and it's fun to see him in that in that horrible light. And so we read the will and surprise, surprise, everything has been left to Marta. The fortune, what? the publishing company, and the house. None of it is going to the family. A will in a movie that bequeaths everything <laughs> to this person? I, I never would have seen that one go. I will yeah, admit, that's right? the one story beat that I was able to get ahead of the movie yeah, on. Yeah, I, I was all up on that, too, considering a lot of these flashbacks we're seeing of the other family members. He's cutting them off in yeah. a lot of them uh, financially for one reason or another, removing them to, like... I guess, give them a better perspective on the world. And it really does seem that Marta is the only one that he has, like, a very close friendship with, if not, like, having to have a family relationship with everybody else in the house. Absolutely, yeah. We also see during this will reading when Marta is incredibly stunned and everyone is freaking out that Ransom is just laughing it up, which, you know... Seems pretty on brand for that character. Well, what's so great is that in the initial sequence when he walks in and shares that he's been disinherited, that everybody tells him that this could be really good for him. This could be the best thing that ever happened to him. And then once they all learn that they were also disinherited, he yells at them, I think this could be the best thing that ever happened to all of you. Which got a really big laugh in our theater. Yeah, it did. That a good bit. In that moment, too, I do very much agree with Ransom in that moment because it's just like they all do suck and they're all so upset that they're just like not getting the money that they think they deserve and I don't know in that moment at least I was I was kind of still on Chris Evans's side. Another thing that makes us like Ransom a little bit more is as Marta's being bombarded by all of this complaining from the rest of the family he comes to her aid and they pull away in his beamer. They go off, he gets her a nice hot meal on a roadside restaurant, and she confesses everything to him about what happened with Harlan. Well, under duress of throwing up everything that he just gave her at the restaurant. Yeah, he asks for an extra bowl from the waitress at the head of the scene, and then 
puts it in front of her when he explains that he knows that she was involved and he knows that she throws up when she lies. So it's kind of cornering her, but like you said, it is kind of like a... Immediately a f- she gives in. Yeah, she she's ready to, like, spill the beans if I hey. don't want to get... Wait, she literally <laughs> spills the beans. She's, oh she's under threat of literally spilling the beans for figuratively spilling the beans. Ryan Johnson. You master of <laughs> film. Oh, God. But yeah, like it does kind of seem like he is in his tone. He's like almost trying to help her because he does also help her like get away from the family. Yeah. He seems to be like content with not getting his inheritance. Well, what he says is what we're going to do is I'm going to make sure that you stay covered up. You're not going to jail. Nobody's going to jail. It's all going to be fine. And you're going to give me my cut of the inheritance. Which, you know, yeah, it, yeah. That makes sense completely. Yeah, that's in, in, in line that with character. everything we know about that character so far. So it seems like we're, again, we're off to the races. We're covering up from Benoit Blanc. But when Marta awakes the next morning, a blackmail note is in her mail saying, I know what you did. And in her email is an address of where to go. Enclosed with the blackmail letter was a copy of the header from the toxicology report, which would obviously show, as she interprets, the morphine overdose showing her as being at fault for the death of Harlan. Uh, Originally, she's trying to get her medical bag back and possibly trying to uh, get the toxicology copies and originals from the lab itself. But when they show up there, uh uh-oh, the entire building has been burned to the ground. It's like it's in ashes by the time they show up. Blanc is there. Yeah, it just so happens that Blanc and the rest of the police force that's on this case is there and and there's a big car chase that was fun oh yeah there is a big car car chase because they (laughs) i I did think it was funny that they're sitting there in the car and blanc almost immediately just looks at them and recognizes them as like they're definitely people of interest here Mm -hmm. and on a very funny slow car (laughs) chase because marta's car is very bad it is kind of like daniel craig pulling up (laughs) Right next to the car with the cell phone he's been calling her. Oh, yeah, she's getting calls. He's right next to her saying, like, pick up your phone, and Mm -hmm. somehow they get away. It, again, shows how smart she is. Like, just like the whole covering her tracks sequence earlier, we get to see, you know, she can't outrun them. So right before the exit from the highway, she slams on her brakes, causing all of them to go way ahead of her, and then she just pulls off the highway. I like that a lot. Chris Evans calls her baby driver? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And I, it almost felt like a in that moment before he says that it almost feels like a, a Cornetto style. Like I don't know, it was very fun to see that happen. And she she maneuvers through some alleyways and around to the back of a building where they oh they think they're safe, they're good. They're we we outran the cops and then immediately like they are there in seconds. <laughs> they are not very. I mean, hey. Blanc is a he's a master detective. He's gonna find him either way. But. Well, even the bumbling cops, even Lakey Stanfield says yeah. that's the dumbest car chase ever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And in this, at this point, they arrest Ransoms. Yeah, they arrest uh, Ransom because they say that Nana saw Ransom going up the trellis the night of the murder, which we know from Marta's flashback. Nana mistook Marta for being Ransom, so it seems. Ransom has been wrongfully imprisoned and that Marta, it's only a matter of time before she's found out. Blanc and Marta are going to ride together to the police station, but Marta says she has to run off for an errand so she can go to her meeting place. And once she gets to this 
very specific meeting place in some dingy old laundromat. What do we find, Ricardo? Fran the maid. Fran the maid. And she she's uh, dying, dead, dying. Yeah, she. One she, of those. She's she, dying. She was injected with the morphine that Harlan was also injected with, or seemingly like the same method of. You know, murder. Well, Marta's medical bag is there, so it seems like it's literally the exact same morphine. Oh, yeah, I guess it could just be the same morphine. And we just get a few lines out of Fran before she kind of you know, goes out. And uh, Marta asks, where's the lab report? Where's the lab report? And then she says, you did this, it's dashed. Which we know earlier from the movie where Fran stashes her pot, which is in a clock. Yeah. 420 dab. Do you think that clock was set to 420? Oh, God. You know <laughs> what? If it is, I applaud that art department choice or that, that directorial choice there. That's very Something fun. to watch for on the rewatch, guys. Hey, if you see Knives Out, look at the clock, let us know. Yeah, check what time. It'd be weird that this Christmas party is happening at 4 in the morning or in the <laughs> afternoon, but like, hey, it might just be a background joke and I'm all for it. So Fran's dead, and Marta, without hesitation, calls 911. Blanc, who's listening to Sondheim musicals <laughs> oh, in the yeah. car, uh, sees the ambulance pull up, and it seems like game over. We learn at the hospital in the waiting room waiting for Fran to recover that Ransom has told the police everything that Marta told him and that Marta pretty much is ready to confess. So the last thing that she's going to do is go and tell the thrombies herself because she thinks that's the least that she owes them. Cut back to the mansion at this point. Mm-hmm. There, it's it's kind of like a Blanc is escorting her to just, like, confess everything to the family, probably give the inheritance. Or I guess at this point it would be the, the legal rules that they've been looking up where she would have legally had to give their money back if she was responsible for his death. Yeah, the Slayer rule. The Slayer rule. And, um, she, you know, she gathers them all in the parlor and in the last moments before a confession, oh, Blanc, like, kicks in the door and, like, yelling and screaming that she's keeping the money, that that's they don't get anything, and that whatever's happening is going to stop. And Marta is very confused, obviously, because she and us, the audience, <laughs> for, you know, since 20 minutes in, we had known that she had been... Ultimately ac- responsible. Yeah, accidentally, but ultimately responsible for the death. It's, but It's another twist. You fool. You absolute <laughs> fool. You didn't see it coming. That's, yeah, that's basically what I heard coming out of the screen when... He shows Marta the toxicology report. That says that he was completely healthy. That what she did when the bottles were mixed up, she instinctively grabbed the right one because she's a good nurse and she can tell the difference between the two chemicals. And so we, what we learn is in a big old-fashioned murder mystery summation, it's like the end of an episode of Monk or something, here's what really happened because our genius detectives got the whole case figured out. Ransom, knowing that he was going to be disinherited and that Marta was going to get it all, knew that in order for him to get any of the inheritance, needed Marta to be found responsible for his grandfather's death. So he's the one who switched the labels on the vials, which is what caused Marta to think that she had given him the wrong dose when just her instincts as a nurse 
showed that she gave him the right dosage. And this is when we get the saddest revelation in our own minds, is that Harlan slit his own throat for no yeah, reason no, at all. Yeah, he was given no the correct dosage of his medicine just on pure instinct, and the only reason that it got as far as it did was because they were convinced that calling an ambulance it would basically do more harm than good, that he would have been dead before he got there and she yep. would have been found out. Mm-hmm. So the final twist of the knife if you'll allow me. <laughs> I will. Is that if Marta had been allowed to call the ambulance like she wanted to initially, his life would have been spared and everything would have been fine. They find mud in the upstairs hallway that they flash back to be Ransom's mm. mud from his boots when he switched the labels. So Nana was right about yeah. seeing him climbing up the trellis. She says, you're back again, Ransom. To and Marta. To Marta insinuating that he had already been back once before and that kind of tips off Blanc extra at the end there. We also find out the reason Ransom missed the funeral is because he thought that's when everybody would be out of the house so he could go and get the medical bag back or switch it back. But then that's when the housekeeper, Fran, who wasn't allowed to go to the funeral, saw him. And so when she was talking to Marta, she didn't say, you did it. She said, you did, did it. Because that's what he makes the help, as he calls him, he makes the help call him Hugh instead of Ransom. And that's like, that. I think that was that my could, favorite reveal of that movie. That was good. That was silly. <laughs> you didn't great. like that? She, yeah, she's on the ground and she, like her raspy voice yeah. is like, you did it, but it's Hugh did it. And I, it's just, uh It didn't ruin the movie for me. I just thought it was, oh, it's kind of silly. It's I think it's brilliant. I, I love that. It. it was so, because, like, they really do, like, the downfall of this huge jerk in the family is being a huge jerk to mm-hmm. people outside of his family. And so now, cornered and afraid, he goes on a whole rant about how, how dare you just waltz into our lives and take our ancestral birthright back? <laughs> this is my house. This is also so funny because Blanc, let's rip. You bought this house in the 80s from a Pakistani real estate developer. <laughs> it was really funny. But yeah, it's all it's all such wonderful writing there. Subtext. Subtext. Oh, no. Just the entire movie. Yeah, the entire movie is, especially because all of this rich family constantly mislabels where Marta's Marta's family family is from. Yeah, That was a nice touch. I thought that was funny. Of just like these huge jerks are just subconsciously huge jerks. And I mean, we we also didn't even touch on like earlier, she's like threatened by the family to be like exposed of her mother's citizenship status. Mm -hmm. And like that, that is kind of like her running motivation to deal with this in the way that, like, is least bad for her family. They're all real scumbags. <laughs> yeah, they are. And Blanc says to her that the reason that all of the money was left to her and not to the family is not because she chose to play Harlan's games, like Jamie Lee Curtis says at the very beginning of the movie, but because of her kind heart. And I think that kind of serves a little bit of about what I like about this movie so much, is that in a genre so steeped in tradition and the audience expecting twists and turns, the only way that Johnson is able to properly twist the audience's expectations is to veer off the traditional course of a murder mystery and then back onto that track again at the end. It's a brilliant touch, and also it speaks to the true heart at the center of the film, because Blanc genuinely seems to care about Marta and her well-being, and Marta is such a good 
person that she calls 911 even if it was against her own interests. Any other movie, I think I would have been really annoyed with knowing this character's role in all of this right off the bat, but I was so invested in Marta and her journey that that really worked for me. Yeah, you know what, I agree. It was it was very much, like, not what I was expecting, like we were saying before, but, like, it's, it's like, almost the other side of a murder mystery where it's, like, we're mm-hmm. getting the answers that, like, we everyone's looking for. It's a murder mystery from the murderer's perspective. We also get the pleasures of having a normal murder no, mystery, Oh, yeah, that it's, too. like, a, another murder mystery on top of that as well. Well, that's pure farce because, for whatever reason, Daniel Craig's always like, Marta, you have to come along with me. You have <laughs> yeah. to be constantly by my side yeah, as it, I try to try to get you. Yeah, it's it's almost like he knows from the start, like, come come with me, girl who can't ever tell a lie, and, like, follow me through your murder, or whatever. Finally, through a very fun, angry, rich guy rant of Chris Evans' ransom, saying, like, whatever, you'll have me on attempted murder and some conspiracy, and arson, arson. Yeah. like, I've got good lawyers and a lot of money, and... That good reveal of, like, it was a fake telephone call from the hospital actually revealing that Fran had died from her overdose. And so, in a final act of desperation, he grabs one of the knives off of the giant (laughs) knife sculpture in the middle of the parlor. Which I wasn't sure if they were ever going to pay off. Very glad they did. Then this is a very awesome, another about a slow-mo here in Mm -hmm. the final... Like you said, final act of desperation, in for a penny, in for a pound, grabs a dagger and, like, falls on top of Fran to stab her. On I guess top of Marta. Marta, excuse me. Um, I guess it's just kind of like a struggle to, you know, kill the last person that slighted him. And this is a payoff of a earlier line that was set up so earlier that I thought was just a fun throwaway throwaway about knives that Harlan says uh, there's so much of me in Ransom our youthful vigor our energy our unwillingness to ever admit we're wrong and also that we're so caught up in our passions that we can't even tell a prop knife from a real knife and that seems like a foreboding line from Harlan as he's holding the knife that he'll eventually slit his own throat with, whereas really it's setting up this reveal at the very end of the movie. This is just a good gag. It is just a good gag. (laughs) Whereas Ransom slowly pulls the knife away from Marta, it slowly comes out of the handle, and it's a stage prop. It's not a real knife. A final screw you to ransom from the old grandpa, it seems, of just plans officially spoiled. They are done. He is then promptly arrested for murder. Mm-hmm. and So we get one nice final look at the entire family as Marta sips from Harlan's own coffee mug from the very beginning of the movie that says, My house, my coffee, my rules. And as she brings it up to her lips... Her fingers cover everything but my house. Cut to black. Very satisfying ending of her just looking down on all of the rich (laughs) dicks that, like, tried to ruin her pretty much when Mm -hmm. she got what they thought they were deserved. This would be a fun double feature with uh, Ready or Not. I was thinking that same thing, and I said to Seamus... They're very similar, just... Structurally. Rich white people are terrible. (laughs) Yeah, like the... The worst of the We're worst. we be in this mansion where kooky stuff happens. And also, really, the entire film builds up to a punchline that's the last shot of the yeah. movie. Which I'm always for. Both I'm always for the female leads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved Knives Out. 
over the closing credits, we get a nice other clue homage where they're seemingly on little portrait cards yeah. of all of the characters as they show each actor's title. I loved it. I'm having so much fun at the movies, going to the movies these days. Sometimes I'll go to the movies and it'll just be like, it'll be a fine movie, but I didn't have fun. But this was like, everything about it was just so much of what I like. And I can all around recommend it to probably anybody that would ask me. Something I really appreciate about this movie, and a lot of movies that have come out lately, like Ready or Not, is that not only is it really fun and compelling, but the character work is really genuinely well done, and it has something to say, it has subtext. It's not just fun for fun's sake, it's really trying to give you the complete package. A complete package it was, I think. I, I want to see it again. I, I loved pretty much all of it. It's so funny. It's so much fun. Also just filmed very well. It's very pretty. It's gorgeous. It's super well photographed. I think now it's time to move on. So as we alluded to earlier during our Knives Out segment, today's pop culture reference is the term the gentleman sleuth. This was a really popular fictional archetype in the mystery genre with authors like Agatha Christie and Arthur Conan Doyle, who obviously created Hercule Poirot and Sherlock Holmes, respectively. This is a character who is usually a little bit upper class, a little bit removed from the crimes that they are investigating, but they're also the smartest and the best detectives in the world. They will come into a usually upper class murder mystery of some kind, even just a general mystery of some kind, and use their wits to dress down all of the characters and figure out ultimately who done it. Mr. Blanc from our from our Knives Out, Sherlock Holmes, Poirot. Holmes and Poirot are really the two Those are the big, big ones. the big hitters, the heavy hitters in that in that contender area there. And uh, uh Nick I, and Nora, I guess you could count from the Thin Man series. I almost want to say like a parody of that is Inspector Clouseau, oh, where he's yeah. like, he's French, but he's very much not <laughs> very gentlemanly. Yeah, Clouseau is really just a Poirot spoof. It's yeah. like, what would happen if an, if a gentleman sleuth were an idiot? Yeah. And we've got the big hitters like Inspector Gadget. Oh, yeah. Inspector and Gadget. Wishbone. Wishbone. And uh, there's another one that I can't the remember. The Great Mouse Detective. Hey, <laughs> the Great Mouse Detective. The Great Mouse Detective, now streaming on Disney Plus, is absolutely a gentleman sleuth. I pulled that out of my ass. I'm it's glad a, that's I actually like that true. Movie all awesome. Actually. That's a good movie. So let's move on to our next segment. Now, since we're pre-recording, we won't have a recap of this week's episode of The Mandalorian. I'm sorry to disappoint you guys, but hopefully next week we'll double up on The Mandalorian. And since Good Place is on hiatus, we'll hopefully have enough time to not make that episode run too long over. We are as disappointed as you are. <laughs> Trust us. We love talking about this show. So let's move on to Save the Rec Center. For my Rec Center this week, I'm bringing around uh, a Netflix special. It's a classic that I think me and Ricardo recommend to every single person that we know. But the Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, <laughs> Broadway, Oh Hello on Broadway <laughs> special is probably one of the funniest thing, or One of the... My favorite things that Netflix has ever put out, including, like, full series and, like, actual movies. So the characters of Gil Fajan and George St. Giegland from the Kroll Show's Too Much Tuna segment, and it's just a whole, like, hour and a half long 
live Broadway show where they are monsters. And it's 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 wonderful. It's very funny. Steve Martin is their guest. Steve Martin, yeah, gets pulled up on stage from the audience. I couldn't imagine being the guy sitting next to him in the audience for some reason. <laughs> why Steve Martin is down there, but for my rec center, I thought I'd stay on brand and go with another Ryan Johnson movie, Looper. It's a heady sci-fi time travel movie where Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt play young and old versions of the same character. It's one of the first times I ever really remember seeing Emily Blunt in a substantial role. Paul Dano is in it. Oh, yeah. Love Paul Dano. This guy Emily Blunt was in that movie. Yeah. It's a really tremendous cast. It's a dark, disturbing yeah. film, oh, but yeah. it is absolutely incredible. You get Bruce Willis with, like, Skrillex hair in a weird mid-flash of time. I don't remember that There is one shot of Bruce Willis with Skrillex hair. I remember it oh so fondly. But, Ricardo, what do you got for Rec Center, buddy? You guys remember Sean the Sheep? It's the Sean the Sheep movie. That's a (laughs) good movie. The Sean the Sheep movie. I've actually heard that's not a bad movie. It's not. It's real funny. The whole thing, no dialogue. A good silent comedy has yeah, never no let me down. dialogue whatsoever, and it's it's still so, so funny. Arbin is the last true master of silent comedy, I think. God, I really want to get on that now. I just I want to go watch the classics, if I'm being honest. Some Wallace and Gromit? Some Wallace and Gromit, man. Some Grand Day Out. Did I, am I crazy, or did I hear that they're coming out with a new Shaun the Sheep movie? They are. Yeah, Farmageddon. Farmageddon. So, hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll do some, maybe do some episodes. On. We could really Artem fill up some episodes. We might have just planned out a couple episodes. Ooh, goodness gracious. Let us know what you think of us doing Ardman Month. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast, or you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. That's popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Now, we actually do have a tweet this week, guys. Yo! It's JStats, once again. JStats, what up, JStats? <laughs> You're my boy. You're my boy, JStats. So JStats tweeted us, at PCR underscore podcast, because the internet always hears your wishes. Quote, there is no wish, there is only buy. With a link to the CNET article that, spoilers for The Mandalorian, Baby Yoda merch is coming. Yeah, I think hey, I, baby. I, I think I saw that headline too, and immediately I wasn't like, oh, more Star Wars merch that they're peddling. I was like, I can get a plusher. Yeah, like how much do you think they're gonna sell a baby Yoda plush for? And or do they make like I just want toys. I want toys with those big round eyes looking up at me. I want a Mandalorian toy holding Baby Yoda. Yeah, that's, that's what, what I, I want. want. Totally. I want a Baby Bjorn, but it's just Baby Yoda. Yeah, there's like a there's your Halloween costume is full Mandalorian armor with a Baby Bjorn <laughs> and a Baby Yoda plushie in it. All right, guys, that's about it for our show. Join us next week when we break down the entire Rankin and Bass Christmas special cinematic universe. We're so excited to talk about it with you guys. Tweet us your favorite Christmas specials. Maybe we'll send out a couple polls even on Twitter. Until then, we'll see you next week. Goodbye, and I hope to see you next week, everybody. I'm getting into the Cosby a little bit, and I don't like that. <laughs> That's shut, it down, shut it down. We shut it down. Oh, nope. fade out, nope. fade out, yeah, fade no. out.